And it's another episode of This Is My Story with Reverend Charlene Lauber from Trinity Chapel Church. Good Friday morning, City of Du Bois and surrounding communities. I am Charlene Lauber, pastor of Trinity Chapel Du Bois, inviting you to journey along with me with a message on wordless worship. My only request is that you would agree to allow your hearts to be enlarged, challenged, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Words, hurtful words, encouraging words, words without meaning, words of promises, words that threaten, words of love, words that kill, steal, and destroy. Words, 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 please make them stop. Today, we will listen to words that are exemplified so beautifully, so lovingly, so extravagantly that we will hear with both our hearts and minds the sound of worship. Listen, listen, listen. Let us begin with the scripture reading of Jesus anointed by a sinful woman found in Luke 7, 36 through 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. 
go in peace. Wordless worship. Did you see it? Could you hear it? Could you receive the aroma? Take it in as we continue the journey. We are not told precisely when this incident occurred, nor the name of the city. The principal characters are Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, and the woman with a soiled reputation. At first look, it would seem that there are two people equally zealous to see Jesus, Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman. Simon could easily converse with Jesus in the comfort of his home around a meal, for the woman getting close to Jesus was no easy matter. Her sinful life, known to all who lived in her town, made it difficult for her, a woman, to seek out Jesus, a man. Reports of Jesus' ministry and teaching had somehow reached this woman, and she was most eager to see the Savior. When she learned that Jesus was to have dinner at the house of Simon, the woman knew it was her greatest hope to come and be in the presence of Jesus. From our Lord's words, it would seem that she arrived at Simon's house before Jesus. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Luke 7, 45. If the dinner were to begin at 7 p.m., the woman seems to have arrived at 6.45. She was there, ready, and waiting. With her, she brought a container of perfume. This woman may have come prepared to anoint the feet of Jesus, the humble task usually delegated to the lowest servant. The washing of Jesus' feet can best be understood in the light of our Lord's words of rebuke to Simon, and when compared to the Lord's washing of his disciples' feet, as recorded in John chapter 13. As the Lord entered the house of Simon, custom and normal hospitality would have it that Jesus would have been greeted with a kiss. His feet would have been washed and his head anointed with oil. The woman, no doubt, waited near the door for Jesus to arrive. She probably expected that Jesus' feet would have been washed by one of Simon's servants. After his feet were washed, the woman would then likely have planned to anoint his feet with the perfume she has brought. Imagine the look on her face when she realized that Jesus' feet were not going to be washed. She did not let the dirty feet of our Lord keep her from what she had intended to do. She dared not kiss Jesus on the face as Simon should have done, but she could kiss his feet, his dirty feet. She had come with no basin, no water, and no towel. Nevertheless, as she began to kiss his feet, the tears began to flow something most unusual for a woman of her profession. As the tears began to flow, the woman must have noted that the little streams of tears carried the dirt of the road as well. She used the water of her tears to wash his feet, something she could hardly have planned in advance. Since there was no towel available to her, she used her hair 
to dry Jesus' feet. Imagine this. The woman used her hair, the most glorious part of her body, found in 1 Corinthians 11.15, to dry the feet of Jesus, the most dishonorable part of one's body. She did not do her duty quickly so as to quickly finish an unpleasant task. She persisted at kissing the feet of our Lord. This woman's worship of Jesus was at a great cost to her. It cost her the expensive vial of perfume and the humility to kiss, wash, and dry the dirty feet of the Lord Jesus. But there was a much higher price than this paid by the woman. The greatest price which she paid was facing the scorn and rejection of the self-righteous Pharisees and other dinner guests at that meal. Jesus did not give her a dirty look, but it is inconceivable to think that all the others did not. Simon's disdain, revealed by his inner thoughts, must also have been evident in his eyes, and so too for the other guests. What in the world are you doing here? Must have been etched on the faces of the guests. It could hardly be otherwise for a Pharisee, whose holiness was primarily a matter of physical separation from sin and from sinners. The woman's desire to be in his presence and to worship Jesus was greater than her fear of rejection from these guests. Their disdain was brutal, but to her it was a cost she would gladly bear to be at the feet of Jesus. Let's talk about Simon's thoughts and Jesus' teaching. No doubt a great part of Simon's motivation was to check out Jesus. Was this man really a prophet? Was his message to be believed? And how did his message compare with that of the Pharisees? Was he a threat or an ally? Just who did Jesus claim to be and what was to be done about him? Should he be resisted? Opposed, put to death, or should he be ignored? Could he be recruited to their side? These may have been some of the questions in Simon's mind, suggesting some of his motivation for having Jesus over for dinner. Simon's conclusion of Jesus following the woman's actions would have stirred up such thoughts as, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know people's character. If Jesus knew this woman was a sinner, he would have nothing to do with her. Since Jesus has accepted this woman, he does not know her. Since Jesus does not know this woman is a sinner, he cannot be a prophet. Since Jesus is not a prophet, I slash we can reject him, his message, and his ministry. Simon, like many of us, was being very logical about his thinking and his response to the Lord Jesus. If Jesus were a prophet, he would be able to discern the character of those around him. That was correct. Jesus, in fact, went beyond Simon's expectations. 
Jesus was not only able to detect the woman's character, her sins, which were many, he also was able to know the thoughts of Simon, his host. By conveying to Simon that he knew his thoughts, Jesus proved that he was at least a prophet. Simon's second premise was entirely wrong. Simon, like his fellow Pharisees, remember that the word Pharisee means separate, assumed that holiness was primarily a matter of separation. Holiness was achieved by keeping oneself separate from sin and from sinners. According to this view, Jesus would have to shun this sinful woman in order to remain holy. Simon concluded that either one, Jesus didn't know this woman's character, or two, that whether or not he knew about her sinfulness, he was physically contaminated by her and therefore could not be holy. Simon would not conceive of Jesus knowingly allowing this woman to touch him by washing his feet. Why would Jesus possibly associate with sinners? Jesus gave the answer by telling a story and then extracting a principle. The story was a simple one. A money lender loaned money to two different individuals, neither of which were able to repay their loan. The one had borrowed 10 times more money than the other. The money lender forgave the debt of both men. Which of the two, Jesus asked Simon, would love the money lender more? Simon's cautious answer was that the one who owed the most would love the man the most. Jesus confirmed the truth of his response. Underlying, it was the principle, those who are forgiven most love most. Jesus now takes the principle and applies it to Simon and the sinful woman. Simon shunned the woman because she was a sinner and expected Jesus to do likewise. Jesus rebukes Simon by showing that in every respect, the woman has outdone Simon in her acts of love and devotion. Simon did not show Jesus even the minimum courtesy of washing his feet. This woman not only washed his feet, she did it with her tears and her hair. Simon did not bestow a kiss on Jesus' face. The woman did not cease to kiss the feet of Jesus, which at first were dirty feet. Simon did not anoint the head of Jesus with oil. The woman anointed his feet with expensive perfume. The woman outdid Simon in showing love to the Lord. The woman was, at least in Simon's mind, a greater sinner. However, the woman was, as Jesus pointed out, the greater lover. The relationship between forgiveness and love is the basis for our Lord's action in seeking and receiving sinners. The body language of our Lord in verse 44-47 is most significant. All through the dinner, Jesus' back was to the woman who was anointing and kissing his feet. He was, at the same time, facing his host, Simon. Now, once Simon's rejection of Jesus is revealed, in contrast to the woman's worship 
Jesus turns his back on Simon and faces the woman, even though he is still addressing Simon. Jesus is, by his actions, rejecting Simon and accepting the sinful woman. What an incredible statement is being made here. Jesus' words to the woman. When Jesus speaks to the woman in the final verses of our passage, he now makes clear to her the basis for her forgiveness. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let there be no doubt as to the basis for one's forgiveness. It's not works. It is not the work of loving others, even God's Son. Forgiveness is the gift of God, granted to those who have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. The bad news of the Pharisee, Jesus associates with sinners, was the good news to the woman because she acknowledged that she was a sinner. The only people who will bristle at the thought that Jesus has come to seek and to save sinners are the self-righteous, those who do not think they need saving. This woman did not dispute the fact that she was a sinner. She rejoiced at the reports that Jesus received sinners. She came to him as a sinner, believing by faith that he would not send her away. And she was right. Of all those who went to the dinner, only this woman is said to have left forgiven. Oh, the marvelous grace of God toward we sinners. There is a strange attraction to Christ for those who admit they are sinners and who wish to turn from their sins. Jesus is never more approachable than he is to the sinners. In John's gospel, we read these words of great encouragement to every sinner. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John six thirty seven. While it is true that Jesus is the sinless Son of God who hates sin and who will ultimately judge sinners, the message of the gospel is that in his first coming, Christ came to save, not to condemn. Jesus thus said to the woman caught in adultery, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. John eight eleven. This is because in his first advent, Jesus came to bear the penalty for man's sins himself and to save men from eternal damnation. All who come to him for forgiveness and salvation will be saved. None will be turned away, but there is yet another coming of Christ when he comes to judge. At that time, it will be too late. Those who come to him then will tremble in fear of him, and rightly so. No one is more accessible to sinners than Christ. No one is more repulsive to the self-righteous than Christ. May each of us be like this woman, rather than like Simon the Pharisee. Jesus, who did not hesitate to touch or be touched by sinners, was constantly touched with compassion towards them. May we be like him. 
The painful reality is that our churches often reflect the mood of Simon's house than they do of Jesus himself. We ought to welcome sinners. If they acknowledge themselves as sinners and if they seek to be saved from their sins, all too often sinners are shunned by the church more than they are sought for by the church. May we learn from our Lord to be more like him and less like Simon the Pharisee. Lastly, we learn a great deal about worship from this woman who washed the feet of Jesus with her tears. It is true that we do not have the opportunity to wash the feet of Jesus as the woman in our text did, but we can learn a number of principles pertaining to worship from her actions. Consider these principles with me as we conclude. Worship is for sinners. As our Lord said, it is our awareness of our own sinfulness in conjunction with the knowledge of our Lord's holiness, which ignites worship. Those of us who are most sensitive to the magnitude of our sin should also recognize the magnitude of God's forgiveness. Thus, we come to worship him. Worship takes place at the feet of Jesus. The proper position for our worship is at the feet of Jesus. It suddenly occurred to me that the feet of our Lord are very frequently mentioned in our text. While Simon did not even do justice to our Lord's head, the woman was only comfortable at Jesus' feet. She kissed them, washed them, and dried them with her hair. She did not feel worthy to do otherwise. Particularly in Daniel and the book of Revelation, men find themselves falling at the feet of Jesus when they recognize him as God. Worship at the feet of Jesus acknowledges his greatness and our unworthiness, his holiness and our sinfulness. Worship that exalts Jesus is true worship. Worship is preoccupation with the person of Jesus Christ. The woman who worshiped at the feet of Jesus was preoccupied with him and him alone. No one else was in the room. The fact that there were others present who disdained her did not matter, for she cared only about what her Lord thought about her. The fact that many present were judgmental did not prevent her from worshiping, for her worship was focused on the Savior. Worship is not concerned about receiving something from our Lord as giving something to him. Jesus was approached by many, most of whom wanted something from him. But this woman's worship was expressed by her giving to Jesus, not getting from him. Too often our prayers are like a wish list for at Christmas time. Too seldom our prayers are praise and adoration alone, without any request, where our only desire is to be in his presence and to seek his face. Worship involves the heart, soul, and body. The tears of the woman who worshiped him by washing his feet are most significant. The worship of this woman was, may I say, radical. Remember that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As it is written, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable worship. Romans 12, 1. 
Worship is not easily hindered. There were many reasons why this woman could have stayed away from Jesus and not worshipped him. She was not invited. She was not even wanted. She might be expelled. She would be scorned. But in spite of many difficulties, the woman did what she desperately desired to do. She worshipped Jesus. Are we desperate for Jesus? What excuses keep us from him? Lastly, the worship of this woman was without one word. It took me a while to realize that while our Lord spoke to this woman, Luke did not record so much as one word she spoke to him. The best worship may be wordless. May God enable us to worship as this woman exemplified all the glory of God and for his delight. Allow me to leave you with a challenge as shared by Lisa Hicks. The alabaster jar was created to hold perfume, so that meant it was able to be opened and applied without breaking the jar. She wasn't worried about the jar. The sound of the breaking announced an extravagance of worship, something new, never heard before, and released a fresh aroma that filled the room. Listen, listen, listen. The sound of fresh breaking is about to be heard. It is in the now that we are called to break open a new praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.